Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands Podcast. You know, we're always grateful for feedback and comments that we get from the CPG community. And if you have an idea for a show or maybe a special guest or a particular topic you want us to deep dive on, feel free to reach out to me and let, let me know. If you're enjoying the show, please follow us, take a minute to subscribe, and of course, refer us to your friends because the more, the merrier. If you're a founder or a team member and an emerging consumer brand and you aren't in need of funding, uh, you're probably not growing. Cash is the lifeblood that allows companies, products, and brands to survive and hopefully thrive. My guest today is someone who lives and breathes that reality. Elizabeth Edwards is the founder and managing partner of H Venture Partners, a venture capital firm that invests in science-based consumer brands. She's been in the VC space for over 17 years. Before launching H Venture Partners, she invested in over 30 companies, including Peloton, which you may have heard of, Freshly, Build.com, and Roots, creating ROIs that were in the top 25% of their categories. Today, H Ventures has 20 million under management with a portfolio of companies, including Aveline, which is Cameron Diaz's clean, transparent wine. Cerebelli, a patented line of baby foods from Stanford neurosurgeon and mom, Dr. Teresa Persner. Hazel, a novel incontinence brand for active women. And Kinship, a clean, sustainable skincare brand aimed at Gen Z. We'd all like to know how we can aspire to get on that list. So welcome to the program, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these things that people that we both work with are money, funding, finance, it's, it's so critical to growing brands, yet it's one of the least, I think, understood um, mm -hmm. and least appreciated aspects of the business. Because I think a lot of people who are entrepreneurs, particularly in CPG, or maybe they're mission-based, maybe they're health and wellness, or maybe they're just trying to make a gourmet brownie, they don't come from a background of finance. They don't really understand the money that it takes to scale and grow a brand, um, you know, and, and, and all that. So how did How'd your background basically get you ready to be in a position to help brands grow? Yeah, I, I entered venture capital at a young age. I've been doing this now for 17 years. Started my career at Deloitte Consulting, working mostly with Johnson & Johnson. And, <laughs> and that's where I fell in love with venture capital. And that's where I fell in love with uh, consumer and, and healthcare, um, the two sides of their business. So at Johnson & Johnson, uh, we as Deloitte strategists were tasked with identifying brands, technologies for J&J &J to license and acquire. Okay. So I started my career on the other side of the table, on the, on the side of the strategic acquirer. And it's really through that lens that I started my career. You know, what, what are the, you know, the big leading consumer healthcare companies looking for in their portfolios? How do they evaluate uh, those opportunities? And really loved the, the technologists, the entrepreneurs that were on the other side of the table, people that had emptied out their 401k to start a company that they felt really passionately about. And that's how I made my way into venture capital. So left Deloitte to go join uh, a venture capital uh, firm and have been in, in venture capital ever since. So early on in my career in venture capital, I was investing in a lot of tech companies, tech and medical device, 
And that's, that's pretty typical for VCs. That's where the vast majority of venture dollars are invested, tech, biotech. And yeah. um, it was only uh, in 2014 that I finally got to get back to my consumer roots and really just focus on, on consumer because I had been a, a VC, a generalist then um, for a number of years. So the first investment that we made out of that consumer-focused fund uh, was Peloton, which was hugely validating that there's a lot of opportunity in consumer, um, and then went on to invest in companies like Freshly and Roots, um, you know, food and apparel, and uh, started this firm now um, just just over four years ago. So here at Age Venture Partners, we just we totally focus on consumer. Um, and you're right; it's it's an area where we find a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, who might be more product or marketing focused and, and less uh, finance focused, uh, learning about venture capital is important. Um, and even the investors that invest in, in venture capital, um, really understanding what, what is it, how does it work, what's the role that it plays um, in the growth of brands. In, in terms of um, tech versus consumer, um, an, an unfortunate experience I had was was dealing with an emerging brand who had a fund come in that were two retired tech guys who thought that our returns and our, our, our runway should be what a tech product was. And it was all the time going out to dinner and going, no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But when it does work, when we get the next traction, uh, it's very easy to go from 200 to 2,000 stores. That's very easy. But that requires somebody at the 2,000 store chain to say yes. What were because you were at J and J and stuff? What were the big differences between what tech expects as returns mm. and, con, and what you should expect in consumer returns? So, from a returns standpoint, uh, tech and consumer are very different. I would say some of the drivers of those returns. Um, you know, when we look at a portfolio, it's interesting that we don't see as many losses in consumer. So companies that just go to absolute zero. Uh, that's actually pretty common in tech. Um, either it works or it doesn't. You know, companies that are trying to find the cure to cancer or uh, you know build a marketplace or invent a new business model. So there's a lot of scientific and business model risk that's kind of embedded in the tech community. Um, tech, you know, your margins hopefully should be pretty uh, robust. That's something that. A lot of CPG firms at the very early stages, when you've got minimum order quantities and you're just establishing those, you know, first first runs with your manufacturer, yeah, the gross margin's not that great. Um, you know, it gets better uh, depending on the category. But um, I, I I totally feel for for those entrepreneurs that have tech investors uh, as their investors because you're right, it is quite different. Um, you know, the, the key levers the, you know, that, um, that you'll pull, we see a lot of tech investors kind of fall in love with this direct-to-consumer uh, business model, which is something that um, I would say, especially as of late, has been really challenging for CPG companies. And they're starting to realize that actually, you know, retailers are pretty helpful in, <laughs> in scaling brands. Um, so it's, you know, I think universally, the things that get uh, investors and strategics excited. There are a lot of overlaps between, um, you know, between tech 
and consumer. However, um, I would say, especially at the earliest rounds, uh, those businesses, the cash required, and to your point, how they scale, um, going from 200 stores to 2,000 stores, doing line reviews with category managers, like it's fundamentally different than just you know pouring more money into Facebook ads. So um, yeah, it, I would say uh, if you take nothing else from this conversation, go after domain-specific investors, angel investors, VCs, Try not to get folks that are just not familiar with your category, right. you know, invested and in trying to tell you what to do. One of the things that in, in working with people I, I've tried to, to impart is uh, strategic investors can also be very good because um, they are already in the business. So they understand, you know, your, again, your, your, uh, your margins may not be where they need to be at this point, but that's because we haven't scaled yet it's because you're still filling things by hand or whatever the thing is, it's a challenge. When, when you're looking for, and, and again, sort of uh, two things. One is when you're looking for companies and you're looking for um, whatever that next emerging brand is out there in the portfolio, um, do you look first at we need a company that makes organic widgets and now I'm going to go find one? Mm-hmm. Or is it, my God, this is a widget company and they're organic and let's do, how do you yeah. start that search? Um, it, it's about half and half and, and, and one feeds the other. So a great example, we, we'll, get, uh, we'll get approached by a company or two or three and we'll see potential in the problem in the in the technical approach and and then we'll start to really dig in to that category to that problem to that consumer to that technical approach and learn everything that we can about it and so many times we are landscaping category and reaching out to founders because we see something in what they're doing it says, oh, you know, uh, example might be during, uh, during the shutdown, the uh, March 2020 shutdown uh, for COVID, I looked down my street. Here I am. I, I live in a first-ring suburb in Cincinnati, Ohio, the number one consumer test market in, in the country. <laughs> and I just noticed that there were like five new puppies on my block, which statistically speaking is a big bump. It's huge. It's yeah. Huge. Yeah. And, and so I thought, huh, I wonder, I wonder if there are more pet adoptions happening, you know, because here we are in April 2020, March 2020, uh, because people are home and there's nothing to do. And maybe they're single, lonely. Well, yes, that turned out to be true. And we saw a huge explosion in the pet category. So starting in April 2020, we started doing a deep dive in the pet category and thinking like, well, is pet telemedicine going to be a thing? Should we be looking at that? You know, so we, we started landscaping the category, whether it's food, pet health, you know, accessories to really understand where the opportunities were. Um, and so we will do kind of category by category or problem by problem, uh, deep dives, and, and reach out and just know that if we're reaching out to you, it's probably because we looked at like 10 different companies and your company is the one that we think is really interesting. Because <laughs> um, we, 
we do find, you know, there are 30,000 brands that, that are launching in the stage and, and sector and geography that we invest, early consumer in North America. And I'm talking about every category, food, beverage, you know, think right. about that huge laundry list of companies, you know, going to Expo West and fancy food and, um, you know, all of that. But we're in food, beverage, beauty, personal care, femme care, baby care, fabric care, home care, all the cares. If you can find the category at a mass retailer like a Target, it's a category that we concern ourselves with. And so that's a lot of brands to keep up with. Uh, the brands that we find most compelling are those brands where there is a real scientific advantage, where they have some approach to, uh, I'll say, you know, dandruff, eczema, right. you know, athlete's foot, canker sores, uh, making your hair shinier, um, you know, making your skin smoother, <laughs> whatever it might be. So when we find those companies that do have those, uh, you know, those technologies or, you know, in, uh, in food, uh, extending shelf life without preservative, you know, maybe their packaging technologies or, or additives. But those are the things that get us really excited because we know that the Johnson & Johnsons, the P&Gs, the L'Oreal's of the world are interested in those scientific modes. Um, you know, these are you know, typically things that are disruptive to what they're doing or right. creating new categories. Um, then the other thing that we love is we love when we're talking to uh, domain experts, you know, the, the home care uh, you know, executive that's starting a, a brand new home care company because they've been in the category for a number of years and know what they're doing and know where the white space is. When when you're looking, um, and again, based on just conversations with other VC people, um, do you look for the product, the founder, or mm -hmm. the team? Yeah, our scorecard really starts with the management team. Yeah, so you know and. An A management team can take a B product and make an A company, but a B management team uh, will struggle to make an A product an A company. Um, and so, you know, in a perfect world, and and this is where it really gets you know, tricky. Uh, we want to see both. We want to see an A management team and an A product that has, you know, they're tackling a real problem and a big category. So billion dollar minimum category size with unmet need with technological moats or other business model moats to be able to really uh, protect what they're doing. Where do you like to have them in terms of size? I mean, in, in, you know, is there a minimum investment you're interested in? Do they need to be at a minimum size or a minimum uh, share of market? Or do you not concern yourself so much with that? We're, we're really broad in terms of the stage. So we'll invest in a company that's zero in revenue. We'll invest in a company that's 50 million in revenue. I would say our sweet spot's kind of zero to 10 million in revenue. So just you know, really getting started, you know, putting, putting points on the board. Uh, the reason why we're interested in investing at that stage, that's where our capital can have the, the biggest impact. So Right. Well, our check size typically, you know, right now, um, you know, with our uh, our last fund, our, our first fund uh, was a ten million dollar fund. We are writing half million dollar checks. Second fund will be a twenty million dollar fund. We'll write 
million dollar checks, but we're typically bringing other VCs along. So the, the round sizes are anywhere from, you know, 2 million to 10 million, generally speaking, that's how much capital is being raised uh, at any, you know, in the rounds that we're investing in. Um, I think, you know, important to note that for the vast majority of CPG companies, their exit is going to be to a strategic for about 200 million, give or take. And, And so it's important to us to invest, you know, well, before that happens, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Before yep. that. Um, yeah. But, you know, typically well before that, years before that. So, you know, if we're investing in a company that's zero to 10 million in revenue, we're looking to get them to 10 to 50 million in revenue before they sell to a strategic. Wow. And that's, yeah. So the exit strategy is, uh, it, yeah, an important part of that. You know, if you're, if you're trying to build it into a brand icon, that's probably not. Yeah. Yeah. We want somebody who's already in the business to say, hey, it's going to be cheaper for us to acquire this than it is to, uh, to do it ourselves. Exactly. Uh, there, there is, though, I, I think, Elizabeth, a little bit of, um, we've talked about with acquisitions. Um, there have been a number of pretty high profile consumer acquisitions where the acquirer has ended up rapidly selling the company to somebody else, or in a couple of cases, back to the founder. Why yep. does that happen? Oh, it's a great question. Um, you know, and I, I, I could probably name the same examples that you're, that you're thinking of. So I think in general, um, it should be the case that brands, it's an advantage to be part of a larger organization like a P&G and Nestle, a, a, you know, a Kellogg, um, a Coca-Cola. And the reason for that, when you think of, when I think of like a, um, an exit pathway, an IPO for a consumer company, I think about, man, how do they, um, how do they compete with the, sale, the global sales organizations of a proctor or a Nestle? $300 billion companies that have boots on the ground you know, in every part of the world global, very sophisticated global supply chains, consumer insight, retail relationships, huge R&D departments, et cetera, finance, you know, HR, like all of this, you know. So it makes sense that brands uh, really stand to win uh, with the right partner. I think like a native deodorant and a P&G is a great example of this is the way it should work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, yeah, uh, it doesn't work that way. Um, uh, you know, I think of, you know, the, um, the coconut water um, company that, you know, just Vita, Vita Coco. Yeah, yeah. You know, just, you know, back to the founder. And, you know, who knows uh, why these things happen or who knows why brands can lose their way uh, within some of these larger uh, CPG companies. I think there's, there is a tension going on uh, with consumer trends and with you know big CPG, which is how do we make the impossible possible? Um, you know we want to make uh, you know clean, organic, transparent uh, label uh, products available to consumers on a mass basis, mass pricing, and you know can we do that? Because that's what can, you know consumers would love that. Um, but, you know, is it possible? 
and some of the, you know, the traditional CBG playbook of like, let's swap out ingredient A for ingredient B and, you know, we can get the cost down. Um, you, you know, you may start to lose some of the original value proposition. But um, in other cases, I think, you know, sometimes it can be just too early. Uh, so, you know, the trend, the trend is there, the, right. the growth, the double digit growth, but the overall, you know, uh, category size or subcategories is, is small. And it's just not enough to move the needle um, you know, at some of these big players where the legacy brands are just, you know, if they've got to make tough choices and, and start pruning the, the portfolio, um, they're going to cut the little brands. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully you end up with, with a native you know, situation right. where it works the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And, and you get that, get that support and, and growth. Um, let me ask you, Elizabeth, real quick about, we've all, of course, been impacted. Um, what did you guys, how were you impacted by COVID? Um, what did you do differently? Um, and, and how are you looking at the, I guess, the near term at this point, since we really don't know? We're, we're midway through, uh, maybe, we hope, right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, COVID, uh, to me, you know, for all of us, it's a, it's a multifaceted, um, it's a multifaceted uh, event. Um, from a business standpoint, uh, COVID has actually uh, been a pretty big blessing um, in many ways. So as a VC, we always want to be investing into times of disruption, times where there's massive change, acceleration, you know, uh, where it pays to be nimble because startups can be nimble. It's harder for, you know, large brands to you know, to change direction really quickly. Um, I always say it's better if if you have to turn quickly, it's better to be in a kayak than an aircraft carrier. Um, And so from that perspective, I think, you know, COVID in the venture capital world has been good. Um, I find it kind of funny that, you know, everybody's working from home. um, We're not traveling uh, as much. For the last 17 years, I've been investing all over North America from Cincinnati, Ohio. And I had to do it on conference calls and, and airplanes. I think I was probably one of Zoom's first ever premium members. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I, you know, it was delightful, you know, years later to suddenly like have massive Zoom adoption where I can, you know, instead of just listening to uh, pitches and, and chatting with entrepreneurs, uh, that we can actually have a pretty robust conversation, you know, face to face, and that's just the norm. So, uh, from an efficiency standpoint and deploying capital, that's been a huge, a huge bonus. From a personal standpoint, I have two little kids, you know, five and three, so it's it's pretty nice to not be spending so much time on an airplane. And uh, I heard a stat. Uh, recently, that before COVID, the um, average American had three meetings a day, and now with Zoom and, and COVID, the average is five. Right. Um, so that does point to a lot of efficiency from a thematic investing standpoint. Uh, what that has meant is we've really had to stay on top of category trends like never before because. We have, you know, of all these categories, the pendulum is swinging like crazy. You yep. know, 
Clorox and Lysol, you know, and, and sanitate anything sanitizing, boom, you know, yeah. couldn't keep it on the shelf. And then a year later, people are like, you know what? I don't know if I want to keep bleaching everything. Um, and same thing, you know, in apparel, right? Like sweatpants. Are, <laughs> right. Through are, the roof. Yeah. And, and now we're sick of them. So, uh, you know, these are, these are things that have real, you know, real impacts on, um, you know, in categories, which means real impacts on investors investing in those categories. So it just means you got to stay on top of it. And then even how people buy, you know. Oh, well, that, yeah. So for, for on the marketing side, you know, the way I looked at that was it was Swiss Bank or one of the, you know, large financial institutions talked about the acceleration of e-commerce was basically 10 years in four months. Yeah. Now it's come back a little bit, you know, but not as far as I think a lot of people thought it was going to come back. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of transition. And I think particularly among millennials, Gen Zers, it's never going to come back. Those, those are products they buy online now, and you can put all of them you want in the store. That's not where they buy them. It's not how I do it. I do it like this. I click, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's fundamental for us on your efficiency side. Yeah. This is a conversation. So a buyer, right. Um, we're in Boise and Albertsons is headquartered here and they have a beautiful headquarters. But if you were a vendor and you went to Albertsons, you sat out in the, right, in the little foyer and the receptionist upstairs, the buyer is across the hall, you know, it comes down, greets you, takes you back through the security guard and the metal detector. You walk through the atrium, you go to the elevators, you go up to the, well, it was 20 minutes, both sides, Yeah. right? Just now, to get checked in. Just yeah. to get checked in. Now, 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 granted, you could you could do your pitch a lot better there, probably. But, but seriously, yeah. it, it, you, you pointed out the the three to five, and for buyers, I think they went from probably you know ten new product things a day to twenty, easy, exactly. and still had time for lunch. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's going to go away. I think we will go back to more face to face and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Expo West and in, in in fancy food, so you know we're going to see what happens. You know, Expo East was pretty vacant, you mm -hmm. know, from, you know, um, what's going on. That may change. And, and Expo West is a different draw than Expo East. But uh, where a lot of people, I, I think a lot of it's going to depend upon what the larger companies do. So if Walmart's going to send people to Expo West, then I think you're okay. If Kroger's going to send people, you're okay. If they're not, if it doesn't look like they're doing that, then that's, a, you know, that's a paradigm shift. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, um, we, if we look at like sourcing, screening, uh, due diligence, and, and it's probably similar for uh, category, you know, buyers as it is for investors. Um, the benefit to uh, big conferences like that is really on the sourcing side when you're sourcing through happenstance or intentional happenstance, right. you're going there to find, you know, the one or two that you wouldn't have stumbled upon otherwise. Um, and so from a sourcing perspective, you know, that's, I think there's, there's always going to be value in that. But from a screening perspective, uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, in sales, like, the, you know, it's all about the in-person, not necessarily in our industry. Um, you know, when I pitch to limited partners, you know, our, our investors are 
limited partners, they're, our investors are retired executives of consumer and retail. Um, they look at investing in our funds compared to any other investment that they might make or, you know, or uh, initiative that they might get involved in. Right. Um, when you're talking to VCs that are going to invest in a company, we have our scorecard. So you could be very uh, engaging and, and gracious and we just really enjoy you as a person. But if it doesn't meet the investment criteria and same thing with buyers, right? If it doesn't meet the criteria they're looking for, like, hey, you know, I've got a, I've got a premium, uh, I've got a, a, a mass, I need a mid, you know, in this section here. And whatever they're trying to accomplish, you either fit that or you don't. Um, and so you can always, you know, come in with that compelling pitch that, hey, you've not considered this, but here's a whole consumer group that shops in your store or would shop in your store if you offered great. But, um, but I would say, you know, uh, 80% of the time that buyer or that investor has a very clear scorecard of exactly what they're looking for. And the screening meetings have become that much more uh, efficient. So you can have the meeting, um, but it's, you know, I, I don't think you, you miss out because you weren't in person. Um, you know, the, <laughs> uh, so I would say, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, screening and due diligence, Zoom is still great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, I am just uh, absolutely amazed that Zoom as a platform held up, especially yeah. when kids were out of school. Oh, you know, it's incredible. like how many millions of screens and bandwidth. I mean, just absolutely incredible. So hats off. I know their stock's taking a beating lately, but it, yeah, that's all right. Um, let me ask you about, again, since you're in the zero to 10 million sweet spot, that also happens to be our audience range, which is great. Um, decks, investor decks, putting mm. together stuff to have, to show people or getting ready to you can, advice and counsel as far as what do you like to see in a deck? What do you need to know? What don't you need to know? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I would start out with the problem and the market size. Um, you know, that's, that's something that everybody's going to want to know. Um, the, uh, the competitive landscape, your team, um, the experience of your team, uh, financials. So um, if you are pre-revenue, you know, that's, that's going to be something that's probably pretty light. Uh, if you're post revenue, uh, not so much. Um, and so, you know, we're looking for uh, things like, you know, top line gross margin, um, you know, your burn, uh, what, how much you're raising, what you're going to use it for, where it's going to get you. Um, and you know, that really, uh, at, at the end of the day, is, is all you really need. If you've got uh, real technology, you're going to want to dedicate some time to that, you know, your IP, how you're protecting it. Um, but I think category and, uh, and consumer insights really important. Um, how you're pricing, why you're pricing, um, you know, relative to competition, um, you know, the typical check mark slide, like yeah. what is it that your product uh, is offering that's missing out in the market and how can you size that, you know, the value of that? Um, you know, it's, hey, 
ours is the only one that has X, Y, and Z. And, you know, here's the number of people that are looking for X, Y, and Z, or here's the category and here's how many people are oriented this way. Um, one thing that, uh, that I rarely see in index, but I think it's for investors, uh, a good thing to have um, uh, in there right up front, which or um, I would say, right up front in, in the conversation, um, uh, you know, first conversation, typically we're asking folks about exit strategy it can be at the end of the deck, but, um, but we definitely want to touch on exit strategy in that first conversation. So who's going to buy your brand in five years and why? Um, so um, yeah, those, and if you do have investors, if you have any notable investors uh, or advisors, that's always a good thing to add to. Um, that's great. You know, I mean, superb because people get confused by that a lot. And, you know, there's a difference between an investor deck and a buyer deck. Um, oh, there's a lot yeah. Of, you know, right? We don't we want to talk about. But um, when you're investing, or at least in, in, in your experience with the fund, um, is the check going to help scale from a production standpoint? Is it going to marketing monies? Is it going to retire other debt? What, what's your mm. kind of, how does that play out? Yeah. So rarely, if ever, uh, would it be to retire other debt? Um, generally speaking, you know, the brands that we're investing in don't have debt. If they have debt, it might be convertible, um, right? So money that was uh, invested as debt that's right. going to ultimately convert into equity as a convertible note. Um, now, I was, you know, it really depends on the stage, but a lot of times we see like a third, a third, a third, you know, third inventory, a third marketing, a third people. Um, but it, again, it just really, it really depends on, um, you know, on what they are, what stage. Right. So right. if you still have a lot of product development, um, IP work to do uh, at the earliest stages, you know, you might have more going to that and less to marketing. Um, with people, obviously, I, I, I know there are hundreds, but um, you know, who are really interested in finding out more about funding in general and maybe about um, your group. How do they get more information about each partners? Yeah. So um, check out our website, www.h.ventures. And there's no .com. The ventures is the .com is what I like to say. So okay, all right. Th there's uh, there are a ton of resources um, on there. We're very you know crystal clear about what we're looking for, uh, what we offer. Um, and if you hit pitch us, um, there's a, there's a form set there that uh, if you submit that, it goes to every member of our team on the due diligence side, so we see it. Uh, we check it out. And basically what we're looking for is like who you are, how much you've raised, you know, what you're doing in revenue. Um, so if it's zero and zero, that's cool, right? Um, if it's 10 and 10, that's fine too. Um, so uh, a link to your deck and a link to uh, the LinkedIn profiles of your team. So, you know, from there, we get a, a really high level, you know, what stage is this company? Uh, who are the folks behind it and and what are they trying to do? Um, so that's super helpful. And we get back to people pretty quickly. That's that's excellent. Trend wise, um, what are you what are you out there, you know, midterm looking for? Yeah. So right this second, 
we're really focused on problem skin. Um, so think eczema, psoriasis, we're looking at allergies. Um, we're looking at all the categories. We're looking at uh, skin and hair care, um, or even looking at, you know, food and, and gut to some degree, um, home care, fabric care. So really interested in, in problem skin and, and novel scientific approaches to, to helping people uh, with eczema and psoriasis. That's been a deep dive that we've been working on for the past couple of months. Very exciting. Lots of, lots of really cool companies, technologies there. Um, and just broadly, we're always looking for products that are better for you, human health, better for the environment. So the H in our name actually stands for human. We're looking for things that are better for human health. Um, and we're also looking for uh, you know, technologies, whether it's you know, packaging, you know, surround uh, CPG to enable those things. Um, and so like our, our most recent investment was in an oral care technology. Um, we really like those things that you know, it's going to be high impact uh, for human health. And yeah, you know, you may not think about toothpaste and mouthwash all the time, but you use it every day, sometimes twice a day <laughs> or more. Um, and so those are the types of things we like to invest in. Absolutely. I, we actually had a guest on not long ago uh, from ORL, ORL Labs, and it switched me over. He sent samples and I've been a customer ever since, just that, just that quick. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Doing really, doing really well. It's um, it, it, very interesting to, um, to go over that in, in, you know, uh, I think your advice and counsel has been really good and people should, if you go back through the program again with a pen and a paper um, and, and, and do it. Um, there's one of the things that we do just to make sure that our guests are a little uncomfortable is we kind of put them on the spot regarding uh, advice and counsel to fellow entrepreneurs. Um, and before we get to that, one more time, it's www.h.ventures. That's it. That's really good. That's why your email, I remember, bounced. So <laughs> yep. I tried to put a dot .com behind it. Um, but we, we ask our guests if they can um, summarize a piece of advice, a quote, a phrase, a single word, whatever it is, uh, to give to the fellow entrepreneurs out there who are listening. You got one? Yeah. So I got this quote from an entrepreneur uh, back in 2008. Uh, okay. He was leaving Eli Lilly to, to start his company. It was a really, really big uh, risk. So he's you know one of those classic empty out your 401k and put it all on black. Um, he was uh, in uh, sales management for Eli Lilly and, and was uh, taking a big risk. And I remember um, he said to me, well, you, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take, which is a quote from Wayne Gretzky. And I, I think that is just probably yeah. one of the best entrepreneurial uh, quotes, because what I've realized as an, I am an entrepreneur, you know, started our firm four years ago. Um, I have pitched hundreds, if not a thousand uh, investors, you know, institutions, individuals. Um, and over the course of my career, I've heard over 10,000 pitches. So pitching, 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 pitching. But what I realize is it is a hundred shots. 
it's probably a minimum of a hundred <laughs> shots. And so, uh, you know, knowing that going in, um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs early on get, you know, there's sort of an arc of an emotional arc. You leave your job, you are at an emotional high. You've done the hard thing. You're, you're going out there. It's going to be amazing. Everything's going to work out. You're going to be able to do it for half the money and half the time. <laughs> it's actually going to take. So there's a lot of optimism. And then you pitch your first few, you name it. Uh, retailers, manufacturers, yeah. uh, investors, and you get no's and you just keep getting no's and no's and no's and no's. But I think if, if every entrepreneur had just been told, hey, the stat is you're going to pitch 100 people and 99 are going to say no. If you go into it with that mindset and just know that fact, the law of gravity of entrepreneurship, then, you know, from a mental health standpoint, you're way more, uh, you know, set up to succeed because, you know, like, hey, I'm going to get 99 no's. And by the way, embedded in those 99 no's are some really good pieces of advice to sharpen your pitch, pivot your company, you know, adjust, uh, you know, adjust your strategy. Right. If you hear from a buyer once, it's an attitude. If you hear it from two different buyers, you need to be looking at your plan. Exactly. Yeah, we go forward. Elizabeth, hey, I just appreciate the chat so much. Thanks for joining us today and taking the time. I know you've got investments to make. Um, and I hope that some people will be reaching out to, reaching out to you guys as well. It's a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Steve. Love, love doing this. And we'll get you back on the show to talk about some more wins a little bit down the road. It'd be great. Sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. Thanks. And thanks, by the way, to all the rest of you for joining us on the Next Level Brands podcast. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community. Courses, resources, workshop, founder coaching, networking, and a whole lot more. Having a challenge with distributors, funding, or promotions? The Community Hub is fully searchable by keyword and can take you to answers that you're seeking. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.